Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Well, good morning, church family. It's great to see you guys this morning. Incredibly grateful that you guys are with us. I'm Barrett Bowden, one of the pastors here at ICC. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, I would encourage you to get them open this morning to the book of 2 Samuel. We are going to be continuing our series this morning called Redeeming Grace, and I'm incredibly excited about it. Um, We have been in the midst of a study of Samuel from last spring into now this fall. Uh, We started uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, and now we continue into the book of 2 Samuel. And as the story shifts from David, um, or excuse me, from Saul to David, here in this book of 2 Samuel, what we see is a real turning point um, in national history. And um, we talked about last week, but I'll just remind you again, it's, it's not because of, of David. Um, while David has a heart for God and he has a heart to lead people after God's heart, I told you last week and we looked at one of the themes of 2 Samuel last week that David is a messy man. Anybody here a messy person? David is broken too. Um, he has to deal with conflicts. He has to deal, um, well, he chooses personal sin. He doesn't have to, but he chooses personal sin. We see brokenness in his heart and his life because of that. He has family drama. David is a broken man. All of us, all of us here are broken people. But David knew that at the end of the day, there would still be opportunity for redemption. Because ultimately the hero of the story is not any one person, but it's God. And David knew what I told you last week, and that is that God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. The difference of Saul and David was David was a man whose heart relied completely on God, on God's faithfulness, on God's redemption, and on God's grace. And over and over, I told you through this series, as we go through this book, um, we're going to be looking at a lot of messy stuff and a lot of messy people. But over and over again, we're going to be reminded of the redeeming grace. That's why we're calling this series this, Redeeming Grace, because we're going to be reminded again and again of the redeeming grace of God that was not only available for David and those who trusted him, but is also available today for you. Well, I'm excited this morning to be able to talk about um, our topic today, which is this, Longing for Grace. If you got something to write with, and I would encourage you always to take notes, um, whether you have one of our Redeeming Grace notebooks that were available, or maybe it's just some notes in your phone or computer or whatever else, Longing for Grace. Subtitle today's message is Marveling at Jesus. And you're going to be seeing how this message title today is actually more than just a title. 
It's actually the core of the passage that we're going to be looking at and the core of the takeaway that I believe that we need to understand both for the people of Israel and their time, but also for us. So can y'all say this with me? Longing for grace, marveling at Jesus. Our passage today is going to be from 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 8, where we left off last week and continuing through the end of chapter 4. You guys, um, I just want to say, you know, last week the book um, opened with the tragic death of Saul. We see David got recognized as a leader uh, by his home tribe, right, of Judah. And now we're going to have the opportunity to see what happens next in the history of Israel. But I'll give you a warning. Um, It's going to seem worse before it gets better. But I'll tell you, before we get into the passage, which is a little bit long today, okay, we're going to read it together, it's a little bit long, and I know sometimes in long passages our mind tends to wander, Um, but here's what I want to say. Man, oh man, oh man, how much we need this passage and this scripture right now at this moment in our lives and at this moment in our world history. There's a song that we sing sometimes here at ICC. Uh, it's written by a guy named Andrew Peterson. It's called, Is He Worthy? And the song opens with the line, do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the world is broken? And the response, we do. And man, oh man, I don't know about y'all, but um, the last few weeks have been tough. You with me? It feels the world is broken. Um, I images, I, whether you follow live news or uh, whether you get your news online or maybe you just are on social media or whatever, images like this one of thousands and thousands of Afghani people running toward an airport, like, just so that their lives could be saved, like, hanging on to planes, the kind of desperation of people to, like, hang on to a plane, I mean, like, literally, like, how, I mean, thinking that would be better than remaining, herds and herds of people packing planes like we've never seen before, little babies being born in the midst of military aircraft amidst scenes like this. I mean, do you feel the world is broken? We do. (laughs) Last week here in our home state, looking at images of floods. I mean, just in a a moment's notice, like water starts rising. People who had no clue this would be happening. who, Who could have imagined? Tons of people dying. Even now, if you looked at the news this morning, you got stuff like this, hurricanes <laughs> barreling toward New Orleans. Last night, uh, as I arrived back here in Memphis around midnight with our team from Serbia, it was, we were on the interstate heading back to the island and seeing tons of cars with Louisiana license plates, people trying to get out of their home. Um, even just in the last year, We've seen uh, COVID just running rampage across the world. 
I saw yesterday in Amsterdam, you guys, <laughs> herds of people literally getting off of planes in hazmat suits. And I was like, what in the, <laughs> it looks like I'm like in an apocalypse movie or something. It's like, what in the world is happening? And many of you guys know the brokenness, not only of COVID, but the brokenness of people's response to COVID and the confusion about what to do and how to do it and would people do it. And many of you are working in systems even now where you feel like maybe this image yourself, you're just fatigued, you're overwhelmed, you're online and you're reading comments, right? Anybody sick of social media? Can we all just agree to have a truce and just say, let's just get off of this stuff? But you get online and, you know, even the most mundane of posts can generate tons of, of controversy. And it feels like we're dealing in this, do you feel the world is broken? Log on to Facebook. We do. You know what I'm talking about? You've got people out in front of schools that are doing their best to try to keep kids safe to some leaders' opinions and others would say, well, actually, that's child abuse. And comparing wearing masks to what we heard even just last year in the next image of the Black Lives Matter protest, which, by the way, some of us have even forgotten. What a crazy year. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Right? My goodness. I don't know about y'all. Actually, I do know about y'all because many people have reached out to us in these last weeks and have just said, as we've talked to you and process with you, like, I think collectively we're all feeling the weight of just the brokenness of the world. Right? I believe we do. The line goes on after it says, we do. And the song goes on and he says, do you feel the shadows deepen? And of course, the next line of the song is, we do. And the very next line strikes a chord. I believe in my heart and I believe in every one of our hearts, right? And this is what it says. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? I'm asking you this morning, in light of what you have experienced in these last weeks, but also just what you know of the world today, do you wish that you could see it all made new? I believe all of us would answer what the song answers. Yeah, we do. This morning, we're going to talk about longing for grace, marveling at Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, all the way through chapter 4, verse 12. It's a long passage. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And so I encourage you, hang with me. This is a real story, and this is God's Word, and all of God's Word is profitable for us, and so I want you to really hear the truth of what God's Word says, starting in verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manam, and he made him king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. David Isbosheth, God's son, I mean, not God's son, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. 
And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Menaim to Gideon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in the opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkath Hazrim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was a swift foot and a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which lies before Gai on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be? before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers. And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah, they crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mananim. And Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, 
while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon and of Ahinoam of Jezreel, and his second, Chaliab, Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and the third, Absalom, the son of Machah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Jeshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, and the fifth, Shephatiah, son of Apatol, and six, Ethrian, of Elga, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. While there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Ritzpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone to my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? God do so to Abner and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face until you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Patiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her weeping after her all the way to Barum. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my Lord the king that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go. 
and he's gone in peace. Well, then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he's gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing. Well, when Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah. But David did not know it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because... He had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Well, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier, and buried, they buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, God, do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else until the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner, the son of Ner, to death. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zerai, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Bana, and the name of the other, Rechab, and sons of Ramon, a man of Benjamin from Berath. For Beroth was counted part of Benjamin. The Berothites fled to Gideon and have been sojourners there to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. As she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now the sons of Ramon, the Berethite, Rechab and Banah, set out, and about the heat of the day, they came to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. 
And they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house as he lay his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of Arab, Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day on Saul and on his offspring. But David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Ramon the Berethite, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him, and I killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, Shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them besides at the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. Well, this is God's Word. Longing for grace. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Have you ever gotten to passages like this in the Old Testament and gone, good grief? Anybody? Yeah? Sometimes I think when we read the Bible, you guys, we get to passages like this and we start skimming pages. Because we go, what in the world? <laughs> what is happening here? Why is this in the Bible? What does this have to do with me? Anybody ever admit that you've gotten to passages like that and you've wondered? Well, today I want to take a look at what we as a church could potentially have just skipped. Sometimes as a people, we're skipped, we're, we're, we're tempted to kind of gloss over parts of God's Word that we think are relevant. But friends, all of God's Word is relevant. All of God's Word is profitable. And today, I want to talk to you about how this particular passage, but also how situations in our lives and in our world today help us to understand what it looks like to long for Jesus and to marvel at him, the grace that he has given. I want to start by giving you a brief summary of what happens. You guys are all wonderful at reading comprehension, so I don't mean to demean you by doing this, but I know that some of us may be helped because it is a dense passage. I'm just going to put up real quick a brief summary and outline for those who are taking notes. You might be helped by it, and if it helps you, then you can write it down and use it. I want you to circle, if you are writing in your Bibles or maybe taking notes, I want you to make note of the first verse of chapter 3, because really, 
If you have to understand what's going on in biblical history right now at this moment, uh, what you need to kind of understand, the summary verse that I would say to, to, to kind of uh, focus on is this first verse of chapter 3. Because in the first verse of chapter 3, you get a summary essentially of these three chapters. It says here, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Essentially what you have here is, you guys, a civil war. Um, David has been anointed king. We know that. God had taken the kingdom from Saul and Saul's family. We know that because of Saul's rebellion against the Lord. David was chosen by God, a man after his heart, a man who would lead God's people after God's heart. He was chosen by God to be the next king. And in the aftermath of Saul's death, what you would think is that the whole kingdom would just automatically go to David. But what we saw in our last teaching last week is that only one of the 12 tribes went to David, Judah. And so what ends up happening is the remnants of Saul's family and Saul's friends and Saul's army basically decide that they're not going to go along with David being made king over all of Israel. They're going to they're going to put up a fight against God but also against David and his army. Okay? And what you have here and guys, if you look at the world today, even just this week we've been seeing news stories out of Afghanistan, right? What you're looking at is tribe warring against tribe. People warring against people. What we're seeing here in these chapters of the Bible is the worst of the brokenness that is within man because of sin, but also in the world because of sin. Do you feel the world is broken? You look at passages like this and you go, yeah, we do. Long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Now we know that in the midst of this war, God is still at work and David if you look at him, this, the hero of the story is not primarily David, okay? But if you look at David, what you see throughout the story is David continuing not to take things into his own hands, but to entrust himself to God. In the Transform for Impact podcast this week, I will walk you through how to deal with conflict in God's way. There are some practical lessons about dealing with conflict that we can learn from the passage, but this morning, that's not my primary focus. My primary focus is not learning how we can be better people, but learning how God is an amazing God. But there's a war. Now, there's three primary characters in this story, and I'll, I'll put them here on the screen. The central characters, number one, you've got Abner. Now, to understand Abner, you have to understand that Abner was Saul's cousin, but he's also Saul's commander, Okay? Abner, if you think back to the story of David and Goliath, is the one who brought David to Saul. He's very much a part of uh, trying to hunt after David. Abner has hated David, and he's been right there with Saul trying to take David's life, trying to find him, trying to go after him. You look in the previous passages we've studied, and you'll remember who he is. And, and guys, Abner is a power-hungry dude. He is after power. You also have a character here, Joab. Now, Joab is um, David's nephew. 
David has three nephews, okay? It's Joab and two brothers, Asahel and, um, oh my goodness, Abishai, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here blanking. This is what happens when you get back at midnight and try to teach next morning. Can, can y'all please give me grace this morning since it's a central theme of Jesus? Um, I, would be, I would appreciate it. Um, Joab is also not only uh, David's nephew, but he's also the commander of David's army, okay? And you'll see this tension, this competition almost, between Joab and between Abner. Both of them are the heads of the armies. And then the third character that you see here is the biological son of Saul, who if God had not taken the kingdom away from Saul and his family, would have been the next king of Israel. But we know that's not what God wanted. It's not what God had anointed and purposed. And yet you see Ishbosheth, and throughout the story, you guys, you, you get the feeling that Ishbosheth is a weak guy, and Abner is using him like a puppet. Abner's using him for his own purposes, his own power, and as soon as it doesn't work out the way that with Ishbosheth, he turns on Ishbosheth and tries to make another ploy for power with David. But these are the central characters in the story. Now, if we look at a brief outline of what has happened, Essentially, in the first verses of chapter 2, we see that Abner, is, he, he rejects David's leadership right out the gate. He, he says, I'm not going to, we're not accepting David as the future king. He's been warring against David with Saul. Saul's dead, and he's going, I'm setting up Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth is the one who should have the kingdom, and we're not going to accept David. And so he starts setting up a rebellion against David and against David's army. In the verses 12 to 17 of chapter 2, what we find is that Abner actually takes a, the army to, to a challenge. It's similar to the scene there that we had between uh, the Israelites and the Philistines with David and Goliath, and they set up across from each other, and they're basically sending men out into the field to see who can win. This is just a power struggle. And innocent people are getting caught up in the midst of it all. And do we feel the world is broken? <laughs> we do. Verses 24 to 32 of chapter 2, what we see is that Abner, in the midst of the battles that were raging, ends up, oh, excuse me, I'm going to, I skipped over 18 to 23. Again, grace. In verses 18 to 23, what we see is that Abner actually uh, kills David's nephew, okay? He does this in self-defense because after the battle gets over, his nephew goes running after Abner trying to kill him. And Abner tries to get him to stop pursuing him and he wouldn't. And when he wouldn't, in self-defense, he kills David's nephew. Now this is Joab's brother. And we're gonna see Joab doesn't like the idea that Abner, his enemy, Saul's commander, has killed now his brother. And Joab is going to struggle with forgiveness, taking things into his own hand to retaliate rather than to release. Again, we'll talk about more of that in the podcast that will be released this week. But that's what happens. Abner, in the midst of all of this, verses 24 to 32, calls for a truce. He basically calls out, hey, let's stop this. How much more is going to happen? How many more people are going to have to die before this has to just end? And he goes out and he just calls for a truce. Well, Joab knows David's desire for peace. 
He knows that. And he makes an agreement and he says, look, if you had not called for peace, who knows how many more people would have died? And they end up making peace. Now, what ends up happening, though, is as you get into chapter 3, right, we see that there's a scuffle between Abner and Ishbosheth. And this is when Abner, who has been loyal to Saul his whole life, his cousin, his commander, now, I think he's, seems pretty obvious, he's seeing the tide turn. And he's beginning to realize that this is probably not going to go well for him if he stays with Ishbosheth. And he takes his frustration with Ishbosheth because of his confrontation with him about that, that woman that he slept with. And he goes, well, forget you. I'm going to go and help David, who we already know God's anointed to be the next king. And Abner, in doing that, ends up defecting from Ishbosheth to David. And in verses 12 to 21, what we begin to see is David begin, I mean, Abner begin negotiating with David. He doesn't do it face to face. They start sending correspondence to one another. And basically, Abner's saying, I will help to get the remaining 11 tribes of Israel onto your side if you make peace with me. Well, David ends up accepting this. If you go to the next slide, what we see is that the story concludes. Verses 22 to 25 of chapter 3, what we learn is that as Joab is coming back from a battle that's out there helping David in the kingdom, he hears that David has made peace with Abner. Who's Abner? His enemy. Who's Abner? The one who killed his brother. And Joab is going, what? What are you? He reproaches David. He stands up and he basically dishonors David and he disrespects David and he stands against him and says, I, I can't believe that of all this that you would do, you would make peace with Abner? Like, don't you know he's just deceiving you, just manipulating you? And in Joab's heart, we see the recipe for not peace, but even more conflict. Because rather than forgiveness and release or entrusting to God, he wants retaliation. And whenever you're after revenge and retaliation, you are going to ask for more conflict. It will get worse before it gets better. And what we see is in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 3, that what ends up happening is without permission from David, Joab sends as if David is sending for Abner again. Hey, come back. And he brings Abner back. But he does it for his own selfish purposes to get revenge and retaliation on Abner. And we see Joab and his brother kill Abner. Well, in the aftermath of Abner's death, verses 28 to 39 in the scripture, what you see here is David just completely feeling broken over everything that's happened. Do you feel the world is broken? David's going, I do. And he's going, God, I, I haven't had anything to do with this. I've been waiting on you. This is not what I wanted. And he leads the people to know this is not what God has wanted. And here's Abner. Even though Abner has been his enemy, just like with Saul, David is saying good things about Abner. He's saying this was not up to us to take into our own hands, and he's mourning and lamenting even Abner's death and leading the people to do the same, honoring Abner in that way. 
Well, what you see in chapter 4 is as the story closes in those 14 verses of chapter 4, we see that after Abner is killed, there is a freakout in the camp of Ishbosheth and all of his family and all of his people because they know as Abner dies that their death sentence is coming. At least that's what they think. How else would you think if you were the enemy of the king? I don't think they knew David's heart because ultimately David, just like with Saul, wasn't going to take Ishbosheth into his own hands and kill him. He says that at the end of chapter 4. He's frustrated that these other guys have taken their, uh, Ishbosheth's death into their own hands. But we see there in chapter 4 that surely Ishbosheth ends up murdered. And not only murdered, but completely humiliated. His head cut off, taken to David, paraded around. And thus ends the reign of Saul and all of Saul's family. Woo! This is tough stuff, isn't it? Anybody here feel like this is tough? This is not easy. It's not easy to, to look at in the Bible. It's not easy to read. It's not easy to study. It's not easy for me to stand up here and teach as biblical history. This morning, as we seek to make sense of this, what I want to do is talk to you about a longing for grace. Sometimes it feels like the world is spinning out of control, right? Chaos. Conflict. Confusion. Division, injustice, oppression, war. There are times, um, I mean, I could list more words up here, (laughs) but there are times where you just wonder, like, what is going to come of this mess? right? Anybody sit at your TV this past week looking at the stuff in Afghanistan and you just go, what? Like what, and, and, like what is going on and what is going to come of this and, and what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Anybody? And you wonder, who can fix it? Who can fix it? So I said, that's why I used the song to start the message, Do you feel the world is broken? And the response, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. The question I want to ask you this morning, that I want to focus on this morning is this. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. In passages like this in the Bible and in moments like this in history, it is good and important for us as God's people to do something. And that is to long for grace. 
If there is anything in the midst of the brokenness and the shadows of this world that we should be doing, it should be this, saying, God, we need you. God, would you come quickly? God, would you fix it? God, would you help? God, would you save? God, would you be merciful? God, would you pour out your grace? Like the song we sing. God, pour out your grace. If there's anything that we should do, good and important for us to do, friends, in the midst of brokenness, is to long for Jesus. In the midst of the Old Testament, as you're reading through, okay? We read through the Old Testament, and you get to passages like this, and I told you, what do you do when you get to passages like this? Well, one of the things that it's meant to do is set up, okay? The whole Old Testament, right, is like a display of brokenness because of sin. Not only Adam and Eve's sin, but all of our sin after them. The brokenness that starts within bleeds out and affects everything. And one of the things the Old Testament is designed to do is to help you see how much our world and how much we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need someone who will come to give grace. Who can fix this mess? That's the heart cry of the Old Testament. But then there's beams of hope. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? God says through prophets. All in the midst of the brokenness, God says, but do you know, do you know that in the brokenness that there's still hope? That in the darkness there's a light? And we get passages like the one in Isaiah 1 where you literally are asked the question, do you wish that you could see it all made new? right? Isaiah chapter 9, God comes and he speaks, starting in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can look on the screen. But you see glimmers of hope amidst all the brokenness, this heart cry for Jesus, and light and hope pierces through as God speaks into broken world, broken situations, but There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. This is speaking of a future day. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nathali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. Do you feel the shadows deepen? The people who walked in darkness have done what? They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as, with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod of his oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. Anybody ready to see the day where war is no more? Anybody ready to see the day where people don't rise against people, where innocent people don't get slaughtered? (laughs) For every 
boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Anybody ready for a government that does right to all and brings true world peace? Anybody longing for that grace? For the government, there's coming a day, friends, it'll be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and oh, how grateful we are, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the dark days of the Old Testament, okay? You're reading through it. Even this morning, we're reading through it. What do we do with it? Here's what the, de the design of the Old Testament, here's what it's designed to do. It's to m make you long for Jesus. God, we need you. God, we're so tired of the sin and the disarray and the mess and the injustice and the oppression and the war. Oh God, we need you. And the whole heart cry of these chapters in 2 Samuel 2 to 4, and the whole heart cry, really, of the Old Testament is God, would you please come and redeem this mess? Would you come and redeem us? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Is the message of the prophets. Do you know that God is working to bring a redeemer to you? He is. He's working. He's working. Long for him because there's coming a day. If you wish to see it all made new, there's coming a day that you're going to know a redeemer. And his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In the midst of longing for grace, friends, here's what we do. In the midst of longing for grace, ultimately, friends, we're longing for Jesus. And this is why at the arrival of Jesus, it's such an amazing thing. In Luke chapter 2, when we see Jesus coming, right? For unto you a child is born, right? He, he, at the day of Jesus' birth, we see God in the flesh coming. Who will fix this? Here he is. His name is Jesus. Unto you this day is born a Savior, Jesus, in Bethlehem. And at his coming, we see the angels in 13 and 14 of chapter 2 of Luke. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, God, you're awesome! Well, they were saying glory to God in the highest. But essentially, in our words, God, you're amazing! You're the goat. Greatest of all time. 
that's common vernacular. I just learned that a few weeks ago. I don't know if I can use it like that. So y'all will probably get on to me later, but you're the best. God, you are unmatched in your glory in the midst of the brokenness of our lives and this world and no one being able to fix it. God, you are here. You're here. You're the prince of peace and you're here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What did the angels announce? Peace. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. And we see Jesus in his life modeling the restoration and redemption of all things. We see the heart of God and the work of God on display. And we see not only his life demonstrated, but his teaching speak directly to it. Passages like in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus teaching, peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, listen, friends, as you see the world, what feels like the world spiraling out of control, look, you could be tempted to be afraid. You could be tempted to despair. You could be tempted to go, what a mess. What will ever come of this? And Jesus says, look, friends, I want you to look to me. The peace I give to you is not a peace that's defined by circumstances. It's a peace that's given to you in your heart. It's a peace that comes by knowing that I am here. Knowing me and trusting me brings you peace. And in the midst of all that's going on, I want you to long for me because what I can give to you, no one else can give to you. Nothing in the world can give to you. No perfect circumstance can give to you. I can give you peace because I am peace, my name, the Prince of Peace. In the midst of the brokenness of this world, we are to long for Jesus. I was sitting on the couch, uh, I guess it was last week, and uh, watching some of the stuff with Afghanistan. Michelle and I were sitting there, it was like 9.30 at night, the girls had just gone to bed, and we were watching some of the, the coverage of it. We were just looking at the dire situation, the unbelievable tragedy. I mean, I, I know it's been a civil war. It's thousands and thousands of generations old. I know that. I know that it's not America's business to fix all the problems in the world. This is not a political statement. This is not uh, me saying I know how to fix it or anything. It's just, it's just so heart-wrenching. It's the human element of it. It's the people that... I zoomed in on the photo. I was looking at each face on that plane. It's, it's the people. It's looking at those images of women who suddenly are, can't have their face shown or the little boys and little girls in the street. One of the photos I saw watching all those Taliban Russian with the big guns and stuff and they're just standing there like, and I, I couldn't help but think of Caroline and Emma, you know? tanks rolling in their neighborhood, wondering about the future, the panic at the airport, the fear, hearing from some of my friends who had friends there in Afghanistan. Literally, I was getting live text messages about what to pray and when. 
got one text message said, there's a group of our friends right now, there's houses surrounded by the Taliban, please pray. And realizing, like, this is not a movie. <laughs> like, this is actually, like, real life. Like, what? And I was just feeling so frustrated. I was feeling so confused. I was feeling so burdened. Feeling so disappointed. And I literally, the question I put on the screen, this is personal journey for me. Like, who's going to fix this mess? And you guys, sometimes I think we are tempted to think that human leaders are going to fix this world. Or that human governments are going to fix this world. Or human systems are going to fix the problems of our day. Some of us can gravitate toward one leader or one party or another and think, oh, this time around, this is going to fix it all. And then you get into the next leader, and it's like just as disappointing as the leader we had before. Y'all know, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, are you kidding me? And I looked at Michelle the other night, and I just, I mean, I literally had tears in my eyes, and I just looked at her, and she said, How, what are you feeling? And I said, I just, this just makes me long for Jesus. Like, I don't know what else to feel in moments other than, Lord, would you come and come quickly? Just makes me long for Jesus. And what we know is, friends, that while Jesus has come, the fullness of what Jesus has come to do, we have not seen in full yet. He has begun a work. He came and he lived and he died and he rose again for righteousness and forgiveness and new life for all who trust in him. But friends, that's not the end of the story. There is coming a day that he will come again. And he will bring a full and final restoration of this world. Aren't you ready for that day? Do you still wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation still groaning? Yeah, it is. You go to passages like Romans 8, starting in verse 18, and you see the Bible tell us, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We know that right now, there is a groaning within us and a groaning in our world for the full and final redemption that we know only Jesus Christ can bring. But friends, we know he can bring it. And not just that he can, but that he will. And friends, this is our hope. When I say the world is broken, and when you feel the world is broken, friends, I'm trying to say, here's what the scriptures tell us to do. We are to long for the grace of Jesus and marvel at who he is and what he's already done and what he will one day come to do. Because the end of that passage says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he does, for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The scriptures teach us to long for grace, to long for grace as we look to Jesus. The end of the song by Andrew Peterson says, is a new creation coming? And the answer is, it is. Another line he says, is the glory of the Lord to be revealed within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Forget my singing. Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Is there anybody who can fix this? What do we do in the midst of floods and hurricanes? What do we do in the midst of wars? Injustice and oppression? What do we do in the midst of conflict? Is there anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Is there anybody who can fix it? Friends, our attention doesn't need to be on cable news. Our attention doesn't need to be on human governments. Our attention needs to be on Jesus. Because the resounding answer to that question is yes. <laughs> there is. There is one who can bring full and final restoration that no one else can bring, and his name is Jesus. I leave you with the verses from the end of Revelation that the song, Is He Worthy, is built on. Because if you look at the end of the story in Revelation, you see in chapter 5 that the Scripture teaches, Then I saw at the right hand of God, and of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to look and open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Isn't this the picture of Samuel chapters 2 through 4 in the midst of such brokenness who can fix this mess? looking at Afghanistan looking at the brokenness who can fix this I look around at you I look at me I look at human governments and I go ain't nobody I see here that can bring the full and final restoration to all that's so broken but then one of the elders said to me verse 5 chapter 5 weep no more for behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. Friends, this is Jesus. The crucified and resurrected Jesus with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you 
to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you've ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, Jesus be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to take seals and open the scroll? And the answer is yes. It's the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. And the question, friends, is, is he worthy? In the midst of brokenness, can he fix it? In the midst of this mess, can he bring full and final redemption and restoration? And the resounding answer of the Bible is, what? He is. And I'm here to say today, is it good? that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Father, I pray today that you would bring hope in the midst of brokenness. Lord, in the midst of the mess of the world, God, we know that we, you're trying to get our attention, Lord, and you are causing us to long for your grace. God, right now, we're just here to say we need you. We feel the world is broken. We know the shadows deepen. But Lord, we also know that all the darkness will not stop your light from getting through. That God, you have brought a redeemer in Jesus. One who would be prince of peace upon whom government ultimately one day we will see you bring a full and final restoration of all things and your reign will have no end. And God, we long for you and we long for that day. So right now, Jesus, we're just saying, would you come? Would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And would you come quickly, Lord Jesus? We long for you. Lord, in the midst of the different situations right now, we just intercede on behalf of people in Afghanistan. We intercede right now on behalf of people who are running for shelter from this hurricane. God, we intercede for those who are mourning and recovering from these floods here in our state. God, we intercede for those who are in the hospital right now in ICU with coronavirus. We intercede, Lord, on behalf of leaders who are trying to to, to do the right thing, Lord, we intercede on behalf of a broken world and we just cry out to you, God, right now for your grace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Only you can fix it. We put our hope not in ourselves, not in other people. We put our hope in you. It's good that we remind ourselves of you.
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, let's stand now as we respond in song. And I'm going to invite our elders who are present and some other prayer counselors today to come forward. Just be willing to pray uh, with anyone who needs specific prayer this morning. The greatest brokenness that exists, it's not just in the world, it's within us. And we desperately need Jesus, each of us. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, right now you could cry out to him and he can save you. But anything else that's going on in your life, nothing too small, just come. Come to Jesus. It's good that we remind ourselves of him and his grace and the promise, not only in his coming, but also his coming again. So let's hope in him as we respond. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.